Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And please open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We're going to be reading God's Word this morning. In the book of 1 Samuel. Let's read 1 Samuel. We're going to read chapter 13, verses 8 through 15 to begin. And uh, really looking forward to seeing Christ in all of Scripture today with you, church, as we look at the life of Saul. Last week we looked at the life of Samuel. The first week in this series we looked at the life of Hannah. And I'm really looking forward to look, uh, just looking into the life of Saul and seeing Christ in the book of 1 Samuel through the life of Saul, but also uh, to get some lessons learned from the life of Saul. So that's what I entitled the message this morning, Lessons Learned from the Life of Saul. And uh, Dad, it's so good to have you back in church, man. Good to see you, buddy. Um, let's, let's read God's Word together in 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to read verses 8 through 15. He waited seven days, speaking of Saul, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For when the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. And the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look at the life of Saul this morning, I pray that we would see, Lord, the pathway that disobedience takes us down. And that we would be duly admonished and 
warned by his life as the first king of Israel, who was the disobedient king, have mercy on us and give us many lessons learned from his life. Touch our hearts and help, Holy Spirit, help us to apply your word into our hearts today and to see the Lord Jesus Christ in vivid color. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, this sermon is seeking to basically cover the, the span of 1 Samuel chapter 11 through to the end of the book uh, in chapter 31. And I want to let you know just by way of background that this uh, entire section of scripture here, it begins when Saul is made king. He's anointed king uh, by Samuel the prophet under the Lord's direction. And that happened in 1043 B.C. And so 1043 B.C. is where this starts as Saul becomes king. And then in the end of the chapter, Saul and his sons are both killed. And that happens in 1010 B.C. And so we have a, a, spirit, a period here in the history of Israel of about 33 years. And it's important for you to know that. We're going to look at three points this morning. Number one, a good, humble start. A good, humble start. Secondly, dynasty-ending disobedience. Dynasty-ending disobedience. And thirdly, a sad, bad ending. A sad, bad ending. So let's look first at a good, humble start. And um, to do that, we're gonna, um, I'm going to have you have your Bibles open and your phones out on your lap. We're going to just be flying through a bunch of passages here through the book of 1 Samuel. And I'm actually going to take us a little bit back even before chapter 11 into chapter 9. If you look, when Samuel talks to Saul and tells him that you're going to be king, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, look at verse 21. The Word of God says this about Saul answering Samuel the prophet. He says, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the, na- of, of all the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? And so you see, Saul immediately starts out and there's just this humility about this guy. You, you feel like you like him because it just, he starts off and he's, he's recognizing his own smallness. Even though Samuel the prophet's coming and talking to him about becoming king. And so Saul starts off with a good, humble start. If you, if you follow the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and I want to encourage you guys to just read through the book of 1 Samuel and just look at Saul and the detail of his life throughout. You're going to learn so much, but He's so humble that when his father comes up and asks him where he was, he didn't even talk to his father about how Samuel had basically told him he's going to be king over the nation and kingdom of Israel. He doesn't even tell him that. He's just, "Ah, if God's going to make it happen, God will make it happen. And he doesn't even bring it up to his father. Again, there's just this evidence of humility there. And you see that um, just in relation to chapter 10, verse 12. Then you see in 1022 that when it comes time for Saul to be recognized by the people of Israel and for the people of Israel to hear him proclaimed as king, and they all say, long live the king. If you look in verse uh, 22, 
the word of God says, when they sought him, this is the end of verse 21, he couldn't be found. So they couldn't find Saul when it came time to bring him up to the front and basically proclaim him king. And then verse 22 says this. So they inquired again of the Lord. This is uh, chapter 10, verse 22. Inquired again of the Lord. Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself amongst the baggage. So Saul is hiding himself amongst the baggage. And by all that I've studied, and even other commentaries have said this as well, that it doesn't seem here that Saul's giving himself over to sort of a false humility of like, hey, I'm going to delay my entrance just to make it more climactic as I come in and everybody can applaud. He, he was really, I think, daunted by the task and he, he had a humility about him that really just honored the Lord and he's hiding amongst the baggage during his big moment. And so you see just this evidence here of humility in the life of Saul and you can't help but just feel endeared to him because of it. In 1027, the reaction of the people when Saul is made king, the majority of them, they all say, long live the king. And then there's these valiant warriors that come alongside and say, I'm going to be your faithful men. But there's a bunch of them, there's a bunch of worthless fellows, look at verse 27, who say, how can this man, how can this man Saul save us? And it says, and they despised him and they brought him no present And Saul was aware of it, but look again, it says, but he held his peace. So Saul, as the new king, doesn't strike out against these men who don't support him and strike out against those who despise him, but he holds his peace. And it's it's almost like he's trusting the Lord with the establishment of his throne. Again, just these are moments where you just look and you see this is a good, humble start on the part of this king. The Spirit of God in chapter 11, verse 6, rushes upon Saul when the Ammonites come and they threaten and they, they basically say, listen, you know, give yourselves up to us. We're going to gouge out your eyes. And all the people weep aloud and they're overwhelmed with sorrow because of the oppression of the Ammonites. And King Saul rises up, but he's, he's, the Spirit of God rushes upon him and he is used mightily to, to win a great victory against the Ammonites. And in this way, he reminds you of, in the book of Judges, the the great judges that God raised up to deliver the people of Israel out from underneath of Gentile nation oppression. And here we see Saul doing what a godly king does, which is he delivers the people of God out from the oppression of the unbelieving, uncircumcised Gentile nations around him. And, And so Saul's got a good start going here. And he even says, you shall have salvation from the Ammonites. And he rises up and brings leadership and and really breaks the Ammonite will and delivers the people of God from under oppression. And then in verse 13 in chapter 11, if you look there, it says, what happened is those men who were worthless fellows who said, hey, what's Saul going to do to us? And at the end of chapter 10, it's sort of like, a moment here where the people say to Samuel, hey, where are those guys at? Why don't we bring those guys up here so we can put them to death and basically end the dissension. But Saul stands up in verse 13 and he says, not a man shall be put to death this day for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. So he gives credit 
to the victory to God, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. And he also is gracious and magnanimous by saying, not a man shall be put to death this day. And so there's this graciousness toward those who have rejected him in the life of this new king. And First Samuel 11, at the very end, it's sort of like the high watermark of Saul. And it's a beautiful picture. If you look there in uh, verse 15, it says, So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And it's almost like, click, take that snapshot. What a great moment. What a great moment for the first king of Israel. And you can't help but just think, thank you, God, for the good, humble start that you worked in the life of this man. Tom Schreiner, speaking of this, says about Saul, he was humble, gracious, and obedient at first. But he did not heed the words of Samuel. He did not fear and serve Yahweh, but instead practiced wickedness, and so his dynasty was swept away. It says in chapters 9-11 through that Saul was an impressive man. He was head taller than all the rest, and once Saul stood up from out from hiding himself amongst the baggage, everybody looked and said, oh my goodness, look at this guy. Look at the height and the stature. And he's almost just this by outward appearance, sort of the model king, a picture of strength and power and height. And even Samuel himself says, is there, is there, there's not another guy amongst him, like him amongst us. And I, I, I heard Mark Dever say this about Saul. Saul was impressive, but became impressed with himself. Saul was impressive, but became impressed with himself. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us beware of becoming impressed with ourselves. Because when that takes place and takes root, it starts this downward spiral in this king that started out well. And one of the tragic truths that you see that plays out throughout this whole entire section of Scripture that talks in Chronicles about King Saul's reign in Israel is that just because you start well doesn't guarantee that you're going to finish well for the Lord. There is a call and a responsibility for each one of us to not simply be humble at the start when we are newly saved, but to continue to walk in humility. And as we go through our Christian lives and we meet various adversities and temptations and threats, there are these crossroad moments. What are we going to do with this? Are we going to humble ourselves and entrust our lives into the hands of the Lord? Or rather, are we going to fight for ourselves in sort of a self-reliant, self-sufficient pride? 
And what you see is that Saul begins to be transformed over these chapters from a man who initially just starts out well to an arrogant man who begins to greatly disobey the Lord. And that's the second point. Dynasty ending disobedience. And that's the chap, that's the passage I read to start the sermon, chapter 13, 8 through 15. It's important to note that when the offerings of the Lord are being offered up, no king is authorized to be able to offer up the offerings before the Lord. Saul was told by Samuel, you need to wait there for me to arrive, and then me as the priest and prophet of Israel, I will offer up the offerings and the burnt offerings before you guys go into battle. And, and what it says though, is if you look, and this is really insightful, if we could just look at this and learn, it says in verse 6, when the, the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard pressed, the, the context here is that the Philistines were ready for battle and Israel was waiting for Samuel to arrive and he wasn't arriving yet. And some of the men began to even desert and begin to walk away and began to lose heart for the battle. And Saul became tempted. I'm losing guys. And, and it got frantic. He started to enter into a fear and a panic. And so this stress, this pressure begins to build. And it tempts and leads Saul to offer up the offering that he was not authorized to offer up. And this was a serious sin in the eyes of God. And you see Samuel's reaction when he arrives there. What have you done? And for for this sin, this sin of presumption that he out of fear, he can understand him being afraid, but he acts in such a way where he offers up the offering himself. And brothers and sisters, it is a serious sin in the eyes of God, so much so that the kingdom at this point is really ripped out of his hands. And the man after God's own heart is spoken of by Samuel, who was going to come after him. He basically says, I, God would have established your throne forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Verse 14 of chapter 13. You have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And so, oh, brothers and sisters, th- this is so sobering. And Tom Schreiner says of this in, uh, in his book, David repented when rebuked, but Saul made excuses blaming Samuel for not arriving on time and appealing to what seemed reasonable. His troops were leaving and the Philistines were preparing for battle. Saul clothed his actions in religious fervor. I said, I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering in verse 12. Instead of admitting that he was motivated by fear and disobeyed, Saul acted as if what he did was actually holy. It was this kind of upside-down perverseness that led Samuel to say that Saul's dynasty would not continue. And so this moment is sort of like a watershed moment where humble Saul arrogantly steps forward and takes on the role of priest. And there's only one king, only one king, 
who is both prophet, priest, and king. And that's King Jesus. But Saul steps up and he disobeys the word of the Lord. and He offers up the sacrifices and he loses the throne. He loses the kingdom. Even though he was still king, the Lord had moved away from Saul and began to look for the man after his own heart who would replace him. And it starts to just go down from here. Chapter 14, Saul makes a rash vow and ends up almost putting his own son Jonathan to death over the rash vow he makes. And you start to see this chaos begin to ensue. Chapter 15, if you can turn there with me, we're going to read verse uh, beginning in verse 7. Read with me. And Saul defeated the Amalekites. God told Saul to go and to wipe out the Amalekites, and he does. It says, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and he devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. That's what the Lord commanded him to do. But then look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. And here it is again. It's so painful. I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. So you see, this is affecting Samuel, who anointed Saul king. He, he was angry and he cried to the Lord over this. This broke Samuel's heart, really. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. So he's going to need to rebuke him for one thing and he gets there and it's even worse than what he was expecting when he arrived. Saul was actually building up a monument for himself when Samuel arrived. And Samuel came, verse 13, came to Saul and said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, Saul said to him. I have performed, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Because God had commanded Saul to wipe it all out. But the testimony of the bleeding sheep and the oxen testified that he had not obeyed the Lord. In fact, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. And and look here at his reasoning. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. So Samuel's given him the word of the Lord and he's coming back at him. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. You see that this back talking, and this, this is a lesson to all of us. I have brought Agag, the king of 
Amalek and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil. He blames it on the people. The sheep and the oxen, the best of the things, devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And these are the famous words. I think this is a sort of a memory scripture for us from 1 Samuel. And it's here in 15, 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. So it dawns on him. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words. Because I've, and here's the reasoning. And I think he's accurate here. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Oh, lesson learned there, brothers and sisters. Listen carefully. And then look at what he does. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now. Before the elders of my people and before Israel and Return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. And so he's got the pretense of religion and wants to appear as godly and humble. And yet he's still craving the honor of the people, even above the applause of the audience of one. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Oh, brothers and sisters, he he turned away from God. In chapter 15, the the section in chapter 13 is about two years after he becomes king. This section here in chapter 15 is about 13 years after he becomes king. And so there's just this progression that takes place. He turns away from God. He disobeys the clear command of God. And the kingdom is taken away from Saul. And yet he's still craving the honor of the people. In chapter 18, if you look at that with me in in, in verse 6, the Word of God says, beginning in chapter 6, now they're, they're back home. Remember, in 1 Samuel 17, David is, is introduced into the story as the valiant warrior who cuts down Goliath. And we're going to get into that as we look at the life of David next time. But we're focusing in on Saul here. And verse 6 says, when they get back home, they're there, and they're celebrating the great victory over the Philistines. And look at what happens in verse 6. And they were coming home. When David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. Here's another snapshot. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. 
And what more can he have but the kingdom? And this verse is so powerful. Verse 9. And Saul eyed David from that day on. He eyed him. Jealousy. Suspicion. It actually says, if you look at verse 10, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. And David's going to continue to evade him all, through, all throughout these chapters leading up to the very end. Saul, it says in verse 12, was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. But rather than repent and go to the Lord, verse 13 says, so Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And so you're going to start to see David rise in success as Saul declines. And as the decline happens, Saul's bitterness and anger and jealousy begins to mount. Verse 15 says, And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful all of him, but all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. And so thus starts Saul's obsession to want to get rid of David and kill him. Even starting here with when David marries Saul's daughter, Michal, what, what ends up happening is, hey, listen, go and kill a hundred Philistines for me first. And he starts first through sort of this passive aggressive behavior to try to get David out there and get him killed on the field of battle, which doesn't happen, to outright just going all out after him, hunting him down with hundreds and hundreds of men on the hillsides trying to kill David, who the Lord said, this is the one who is the man after my own heart. And I'm taking the kingdom away from you, and I'm giving it to someone, Samuel said, who's better than you. Rather than humbling himself under the mighty hand of God's will, Saul said, nah, that's not going to happen. And he commits his life to going against the will of the Lord. And this downward spiral continues on and on. It's actually so bad. If you look in verse chapter 22, brothers and sisters, and some of you might remember this story, but this is just absolutely tragic, but is a testimony of how bad it got in this man's life. He started out amongst the baggage, but he became so obsessed, so arrogant, so self-reliant, and so willful against the will of the Lord, that in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, when Abimelech aided David and gave him the sword of Goliath, whom he killed on the field of battle, the chapter before. Doeg the Edomite saw David get the sword from Abimelech and get aid and the bread from the temple and be refreshed. Doeg informed on him. Saul went to Nob, the city of the priests. And verse 18 says, Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. 
and Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. Oh, he won't enforce a divine ban on the Amalekites whom God commanded him to slaughter. But someone who resisted his will, someone who aided and assisted someone he considered to be a threat to his power and influence, saw crushed down to powder. He took a scorched earth policy and not only killed the 85 priests to where only one of them, Abiathar, lives, but the women, the children, the the animals, he wipes out Nob, the city, the Israelite city of the priests. Brothers and sisters, this is the nature of indwelling sin. And it's the nature of sin in general that we tend to think that by just indulging in some jealous thoughts, that that's where it's going to stay. But brothers and sisters, we see this corrosive effect that begins to grow in Saul's heart and this evil spirit begins to take over in him. And not too long before, he's saying, who am I and who is my clan? For I am the least in Israel to where he is holding on to his throne and his power against the will of the Lord so strongly that for one priest aiding David, he's willing to wipe them all out. This is an evil obsession. At this point, Saul really gives himself over to be an agent of the evil one. And the Lord really turns away from him. And it, it's, it's Saul's self-reliance and his obsession to kill David that led him to slaughter the priests of the Lord. But he can't succeed against God. Unbelievers with all of their machinations and wicked and evil men and women who with all of their evil devices seek to rise up against the Lord. And Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against His anointing, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The one who sits enthroned in heaven laughs. You cannot succeed against the will of the Lord. Fight Him though you will. Brothers and sisters, let us learn a lesson here. Let us not fight God, but humbly submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God and entrust our lives, entrust our story, entrust our days into the hands of the Lord. Lest we in self-reliant pride resist God to our shame and to our harm. We can't succeed against Him. We have to submit to Him. David gets hunted. And while he's hunted, he actually spares Saul's life twice. In chapters 24 and 26, I'll let you read that on your own. And Saul actually has momentary realizations as David doesn't cut him down, he just says, I had the opportunity to kill you, Saul, but I didn't because I'm not after you. But Saul began to become so paranoid that the conspiracy of David being against him and David being after my throne and 
it consumed him and, and really destroyed him from within. It destroyed his heart for God. And brothers and sisters, that type of jealousy and envy and ambition and pride and arrogance, it wasn't there in the beginning. Sometimes those who are, even in the beginning, willing and eager to serve the Lord, get worse over time. And it does happen that way in the life of Saul, which is a warning to all of us. Saul would stop at nothing to harm David. And eventually David's like, i got to go and live in, amongst the land of the Philistines. Because, and he actually had to get his mom and dad out of Israel as well. And they went and lived in the Gentile country as well because it got so bad that David was actually fearful. He's not going to just kill me. He's going to go after my mom and dad as well. It was just an obsession that happened that was evil. Applications for us in all this? Let's listen carefully. In chapter 13, there was a pressure-induced disobedience. When we're under pressure, church, when we're under stress, it can tempt us toward disobedience. It may seem small to us at the time, but could actually be massive in terms of the door it opens up in our life. Let me ask you this. Where in your life are you feeling the most stressed right now? Where is there the most pressure? Is it at home? Is it at work? Is it at school? Is it at church? Pressure and stress can lead us to run to God. Or it can tempt us to run away from God if we're not careful. Let's learn that lesson from the life of Saul and see the sad path he took from it. In chapter 15, we see that Saul actually disobeyed God in order to make a sacrifice for God in his mind. He actually thought he obeyed when he didn't. It shows us the deceitfulness of sin. He's told to destroy the Amalekites and he doesn't fully obey what God asks of him. We learn here, that partial obedience is not obedience at all in the eyes of the Lord. Instead, what Saul does is like Achan in the book of Joshua, he covets the precious treasure of Jericho. And Saul leads the people to keep the best that the dead Amalekites left behind. And God says to him, to obey is better than sacrifice. He became intoxicated, brothers and sisters, with his own power and position. Unwilling to give it up. Saul feared the people's departure from him. He craved honor. He craved praise. So much so that he built a monument to himself. And this led him to not being willing to give up the kingdom, even though God had torn it from him. He would not submit to the will of God. And you can't help but think what might have been had he just submitted to the will of God and repented by God's grace like David did in Psalm 51 after he sinned greatly. He could have said, hey, you know what? The kingdom's taken away from me, but I'm going to do my very best to use all my influence to marshal all of Israel around the, 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 the tribe of Judah's man, King David, who's actually going to be the line of Christ. And even though it's not coming through me, I'm going to do everything I can to make this man succeed. And I'm going to own my sin that I did when I was king 
all my life, but I'm going to do my very best for Israel and I'm going to be behind David and see, oh my goodness, what power there could have been in that. But he would not have it. Samuel actually had to go in secrecy to anoint David in chapter 16. Because if the errand that he was on was found out by Saul, death would have been the result. David was a man after God's own heart. Saul was a man after his own desires. Jealousy, brothers and sisters, Let's take this to heart by way of just discipleship and application into our own lives. Beware of letting jealousy take hold in your life. Eyeing someone who has become a threat to you in some way. They're better than you. Like Samuel says. They are more talented than you. They're more gifted than you. They're more godly than you. They're more attractive than you. Whatever it might be, they may replace you. Or they've been elevated or recognized or praised above you in some way. Maybe somebody at work. Maybe somebody at school. Let that get in there and it can like acid eat away at your heart for God And what was once humble and beautiful worship coming out of your heart for Jesus is now rusted over with pride and arrogance. Where are you tempted right now, brothers and sisters? Where am I toward jealousy and envy in your life? Who in your life do you eye with suspicion and secretly perhaps even want to see brought low? God wants to lead you and I to repentance over that. God wants to change your heart and mind toward that situation and toward that person or persons. And He wants to fill our hearts instead with love and forgiveness. We have to trust God with His plan. Instead, Saul gave himself over to self-reliance. Saul said this, This situation is not the way I want it to be. And I'm going to change it and make it the way I want it, God. Versus entrusting it. Entrusting it to God. Rejoicing when others are honored and praised more than we are. Staying faithful. Wishing well. Rejoicing in the success of others. Helping them on to succeed. Even more in their lives. Or in their role at work. Oh, that's the way we should be. Brothers and sisters. And we can't help but ponder what might have been had Saul humbly rejoiced in David's success. And helped him on in his calling from God. Had he just acknowledged, yeah, you know what? I didn't go out there to meet Goliath. David did, and praise God. God brought the giant down, and it wasn't through me, and praise God for the song that's being sung. Where do you see self-reliance in your own life right now? Instead of giving a situation over to God, and entrusting it all to Him, 
You are actively working to make things go the way you want them to go in your own strength. God wants us to not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility to consider others more significant than ourselves. How might God want to use you to reach out to that person instead of resenting them? To befriend them instead of fighting them in your heart and in your attitude. To pray for them. To work for their success instead of wishing or rejoicing in their failure. You know, the world is dog-eat-dog out there, they say. And that's true. We, as Christians, are to be different than the world around us. Amen? We are to show something different. One of the things all this obsession of Saul's taught us, Tom Schreiner said, is merely having a king was not the solution to Israel's problems. We need a king who submits to the will of God. We need a king who obeys God. Saul feared people rather than fearing the Lord. He craved honor from men more than living for the audience of one. Oh, brothers and sisters, it got so bad. And now Saul was allied with the serpent, one Christian wrote. He wasn't open to correction. He could not stop his course. Saul took matters into his own hands. And he sought his own ends through his own power. David entrusted himself into the hands of the Lord and turned to the Lord for strength and would not take matters into his own hands even when God put his enemy in front of him in the dark and he could have taken Saul's life and brought relief to the four years of unrelenting suffering he had from Saul pursuing him from 1014 B.C. to 1010. It was unrelenting. Brothers and sisters, let us crave honoring God more than we crave relief from our own suffering. The desire for relief can tempt us in self-reliance to take matters into our own hands and work salvation for ourselves through our own power, which corrupts us. No, let us rather, unlike Saul, entrust ourselves to the Lord. Like our Lord Jesus, who entrusted Himself to His Father, even when man was putting Him to death. The third and final point, a sad and bad ending. It gets so bad at the end of all this, God had abandoned Saul and Saul had abandoned God and he just won't give up on his self-reliance, but he actually, he had banned witches and necromancy and divination in the land of Israel prior to that as king, which was good because that was in obedience to Old Testament scripture. But Saul actually, toward the end, consults a witch for guidance. He will not repent all the way to the end. And he even kills himself like Judas on the field of battle. He won't seek God. 
He won't humble himself. He won't repent toward God even at the end. Expositor's Bible commentary says this, there are times when the best thing an inveterate or hardened sinner could do would be to fling himself before God and sob for mercy. Oh God, give us all grace. But fling himself before God and sob, he cannot. Saul was incapable of that exercise of soul which would have saved him and his people. Most terrible effect of cherished sin. It dries up the fountains of contrition and they will not flow. It stiffens the knees and they will not bend. It paralyzes the voice and it won't cry. It blinds the eyes and they see not the Savior. See, that's what Satan's designs and ends are for all of us. He wants to snuff out every passion for Jesus in our hearts and in our lives and give ourselves over to bitterness and tempt us to hate people instead of to love them. Brothers and sisters, we must not pursue that path. It closes the ears and the voice of mercy is unheard. It drives the distressed one to wells without water. That was the witch of Endor. Let me try to get comfort from somewhere. And I'm not going to go to God, so let me go to this witch. And even there, God meets him and actually does a miracle and raises Samuel up, gives Saul what he's hoping for, which was a conversation with dead Samuel. God gives it, gives that miracle to him, and Samuel tells him that tomorrow you and your sons are going to be with me. The Lord's rejected you. To refuge, refuges of lies, to trees twice dead, to physicians who have no medicines, to gods who have no salvation. Oh, brothers and sisters, when we fear, even if we are in the place of distance with God, let us turn to God in repentance and plead with Him for counsel rather than to turn to ungodly refuges and voice Voices of counsel. Look at how far one can fall when they commit their way to sin and rejecting God like Saul did. In the end, it leads only to despair. Let us look to Christ in our time of need, brothers and sisters, and remember that God blesses all who take refuge in His Son. Let us believe in Jesus right now and entrust all the hardest things in our lives to Him and turn to Him in repentance that we might have hope with what we are all facing. My wife Shannon and I were fellowshipping over this the other night, and she said, oh, CB, Saul's life is such a sad one. He really missed out on the joy of being a Christian and being loved by God because of all of this. And she said this, and it just affected me what my Shannon said. She said, God wants something so much better for us than what we try and finagle for ourselves. God wants something so much better for us than what we try and finagle for ourselves. Maybe that is a way to remind us that God really does have a better life for us if we would simply trust Him and entrust our lives to Him. Saul wouldn't do it. And in the end, it led to despair and death. Brothers and sisters, this is not a happy ending for Saul. And it's important for us because especially in our day, everybody wants to think that everything turns out happy in the end for everybody. One of the lessons we need to learn from this is that there is no happy ending for those who die in unrepentant sin. For every Christian, though, your story and mine is a happy ending. So let me just close with 
this. Instead of closing with a worship song this morning, I want to close with this. Let's look at the contrast of Saul, King Saul, and King Jesus. And I'll close. Saul was a disobedient king, and Christ, the obedient king of kings. Saul started out humble. Christ started out humble and stayed humble. Saul knew he would die on the next day and turned inward. Christ also knew he would die on the next day and turned upward. Saul the king died on a hill in defeat. Jesus, the King of Kings, also died on a hill in victory. Saul's death led to Israel being defeated. Christ's death led to Israel being delivered. To obey is better than sacrifice. And there is only one who fulfilled this phrase. Saul failed. Christ succeeded. Christ is the obedient one who also offered himself up to be our sacrifice. And in so doing, he atones for our sins and provides for us, as Ethan prophesied this morning, the perfection that we lack through his active obedience and perfect obedience of the law. Saul was disobedient and unwilling to sacrifice himself or his throne. Jesus was obedient and willing to sacrifice himself and leave his throne for us. A mere king is not enough. What is needed is an obedient king. An obedient king who will sacrifice himself on behalf of his people. Saul wouldn't. Jesus did. In the end, Saul did not want to be humiliated by the Philistines, doing all he could as he fought in his last moments to prevent it, even falling on his sword and killing himself, so he did not need to experience the humiliation. And yet he was hung up and mocked anyway. Jesus willingly entered into the humiliation of the cross and suffered himself also to be hung up for all the world to see, and mocked. And he did not escape it, but he went through every ounce of pain and experienced it. And he did it all, beloved, for you. So Saul, what do we learn finally from him? Saul points us all to the need for Jesus, the King of Kings. What we need is not a mere king, but the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, I got good news for you. We have Him. And He has died for us. To obey is indeed better than sacrifice. And the bad news is every single one of us have fallen short in our obedience. But in Christ, we have the sacrifice of atonement that we need. The cleansing that we need from His blood. And we also have through Christ, by grace, through faith, the obedience we need given to us as a free gift of grace through justification, if we will receive it by faith today. Will you receive it? Will you receive the sacrifice and the obedience of Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, 
as a free gift. If you haven't, I want to urge you to do so while there's still time. While the Lord is still knocking on your heart. But for the majority of you, you have. And I just want to encourage you with this. The King of Kings not only perfectly obeyed, but was also a willing sacrifice of atonement for us. Isn't he awesome? Can we just thank him for how great he is? Jesus, we thank you and we give you all the glory for what you've done. And we thank you also for the opportunity for us now to just enjoy fellowship together through our Koinonia lunch. Bless the food to our bodies. Bless all of us as we think of you and meditate upon you. Help us to grow and have that Koinonia fellowship like Jason was talking about. Help us to go deep in our fellowship over you and to talk in wonder of how awesome you are as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you so much that where Saul and even David failed, Jesus, you did not fail. And you are our faithful King of Kings. And we delight to submit to your rule. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Enjoy, brothers and sisters. Have a great day.